Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we have come into your presence to rejoice in the glory and wonder of the good news of the forgiveness of sin and salvation for all who put their faith in Christ. Thank you, O Lord, our God, that from before the foundation of the world, you set your love and affection upon us. We now boldly ask you to send your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to revive our spirits, to soften our hearts, and to expand our love for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Just recently, I was talking to a, a young person in their early 20s, and I'll have to be intentionally vague. Uh, but this individual said that they converted to Christianity coming out of a demonic religion. I said, when did you convert to Christianity? And this person said, a month ago. I said, that's fascinating. I said, you mind if I ask how that came about? And this person shared 
uh, their background and how they grew up and, and how that came about. And, and then this person said, you don't know what it's like to grow up being a part of an evil, hateful religion and then being set free. As I was thinking about preparing for Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, I thought it would be good for us to remind ourselves of why Jesus died in our place and then rose again on the third day. Obviously, we could give many answers to that question, but it would be good for us to keep in mind that he came to set the captives free. Jesus came to transform our lives And in our text this morning, we have what I think is one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture of a transformed life. And if you're taking notes, I'd like to look at this passage with three points. First, I want us to consider the woman's sin and love toward Jesus. And then we will look at the Pharisee's sin and love towards Jesus. And then we'll get more pointed and we will look at our sin and love towards Toward Jesus. So let's consider this woman's sin and love toward Jesus. Verse 36 again, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and he took his place at the table. So this narrative opens up with Jesus coming for dinner. He's been invited by Simon. We learn a little later uh, that his name is Simon, he's, he's a Pharisee. But we know from later in the text that this was not a sincere. Invitation because the customary good manners of the day were completely neglected. Jesus, as a rabbi, should have been honored. As soon as he walked in the door, he should have been given a kiss. He was not given a kiss. He should have been given water for his feet so that he could wash his dirty feet because of the road. He wasn't given any water. And he should have been provided with some ointment to soothe his head or his his feet. And he wasn't given that either. So from the moment Jesus has walked into the house of this Pharisee, he's been treated with contempt and and disrespect. And then we read in verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. When Luke says, Behold, this is his way of saying, Hey, look! Look who showed up for dinner, and then we are told that this woman was a sinner, and the commentators agree that this is a euphemism for the fact that she was a professional sinner. She was a prostitute, and Luke is saying, look who showed up for dinner, and you know what everybody's thinking. What is she doing here? It was a small town. Everybody knew everybody And she has brought with her an alabaster flask of ointment. The commentator William Barclay writes, Round her neck she wore, like all Jewish women, a little vial of concentrated perfume. They were called alabasters, and they were very costly. In John 12, we have another episode that's very similar to the one we have right right here. And in that episode, Mary anoints the feet of Jesus, and we're told that she anointed the feet of Jesus with expensive ointments, and we're told that it was worth 300 denarii, which is just a little less than a year's wages. So, in other words, the ointment was worth 
tens of thousands of dollars in our current currency. Now, no doubt, uh, the ointment that this woman had was not that expensive. However, we do know, as Barclay goes on to say, she wished to pour it on his feet, for it was all she had to give. I love that. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that this woman prayed for an opportunity to bring all that she had, her vial of ointment around her neck, so that she could anoint the feet of Jesus. And I love what Sproul says about this passage. He said, while everybody else was coming to a dinner party, this woman was coming to church. This woman was coming to church, and she brought an offering with her. She didn't just bring a few dollars and put it in the offering basket. She brought all that she had so that she could show her love and worship of Jesus. Now, I need to clarify something at this point. Uh, This woman is already converted before she arrives at the house of Simon. Now, how she came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we don't know. We could only guess. Maybe she heard one of his messages talking about grace and forgiveness. Maybe, if you'll allow me just to use my sanctified imagination this morning, maybe she was present on the day when the religious leaders brought a woman caught in adultery and and threw her at the feet of Jesus. And they said, the law says that such a woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? And we're told that Jesus got down and he took his finger and he he wrote on the ground. And, And people speculate as to what he wrote. I think he wrote down the Ten Commandments. That's a guess on my part, but this is why I say that, because when we read the Old Testament, there is one place in the law where we're told that God wrote the law with his finger, and that was the Ten Commandments. So when Moses brought the tablets of the Ten Commandments down from the mountain, the reason why the Ten Commandments were carved into stone is not because Moses had a hammer and chisel with them and he carved it in there. The reason why he had the Ten Commandments is because God himself wrote the Ten Commandments into stone with his own finger. So I could be wrong. So Jesus is writing, let's say it is, the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And we're told that one by one they left, beginning with the older and going down to the younger. Because they realized they were all guilty. They all had broken the law of God. And then Jesus turns to this woman. He says, woman, does, does no one condemn you? And she says, no, my Lord. And she says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And maybe on the outskirts of that episode, this, this woman was eavesdropping on, on the conversation. And maybe she thought, If she could be forgiven, surely I could be forgiven. And maybe she went home and and she prayed. And God forgave her. The Holy Spirit reassured her of her forgiveness. And now she has arrived on this occasion to worship Jesus, to anoint his feet, because she has been set free. Regardless. 
She's been marvelously set free, and she can't wait to worship Jesus. And then what do we see in verse 38? And standing behind him. So this is how it would have worked. So they would have met in a circle. There would have been a small table. They would have been reclining, perhaps on their left elbow, using their right hand to eat. And for obvious reasons, their feet would have been facing out because they were dirty and smelling. So Jesus is reclining at the table. This woman is standing at the feet of Jesus. And as she's standing at the feet of Jesus, what are we told that she is doing? She is weeping. She is weeping. The emotional dam has broken, and she's just weeping. And the tears are coming so heavily that we're told that she wet Jesus' feet with her tears. And this word right here for wet is also translated in Matthew 5 as rain. Her eyes are like sockets. The, the water is dripping on the feet of Jesus. And because no one cleaned Jesus' feet, Jesus' feet, I'm imagining, are now becoming muddy because of the dirt that were on them. And she's probably looking down going, oh, no, what have I done? This woman gets down on the ground, and she does the unthinkable. She lets down her hair. That was scandalous. Here's something you need to know. In this culture, a married woman didn't let down her hair. Some of the rabbis even said that if a married woman let down her hair in the presence of another man, you could divorce her. This woman does that, which many would consider scandalous, but she lets down her hair, and she begins to wipe the feet of Jesus, cleaning them. And then we're told that she kissed his feet. And not just once, but repeatedly. Jesus says a little later that from the time he came in, she has not ceased to kiss his feet. And then finally, the long-awaited moment has come. She anoints the feet of Jesus. And everybody watching this is just thinking, this, this is scandalous. It's scandalous love. It's scandalous worship. And if the curtain that separated heaven from earth could be pulled back, you know what we'd see taking place around the throne of God? We would see rejoicing taking place. The angels would be celebrating, and they would be thinking, finally, finally someone on earth is treating Jesus with the dignity and the worth and the respect that he deserves. Finally. There is somebody who sees Jesus for who he is, and they would be celebrating. And I could be wrong, but perhaps during the earthly ministry of Jesus, this episode right here is the greatest expression of worship that Jesus ever received. If it's not the greatest expression of worship that he ever received, then it certainly is at the top of the list. So that's the woman's sin and love toward Jesus. Now let's consider the Pharisee's sin and love toward Jesus, or lack thereof. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is 
who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Yes. And if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of man Simon is. That he is a sinner. And then verse 40 is fascinating. It begins, And Jesus answering said to him, Jesus answers his thought. Don't you like that? And then he continues on, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. So 500 denarii, uh, that's a day's wages. If you made 12 50 an hour and you worked eight hours a day for 500 days, that comes out to a nice even $50,000. 50 denarii, you can do the math, right? You know how to do that, right? Take away the zero. All right. $5,000. $50,000 debt, wiped out. $5,000 debt, wiped out. And then what does Jesus say? Now, which of them will love him more? By the way, when Jesus ever asks a question, especially if he asks a question of one of his enemies, pay attention because it's going to get good. <laughs> Simon responds, the one, I suppose, for whom canceled the larger debt. Don't you like that? I, I suppose. What, what do you mean you suppose? It's clear. $50,000, $5,000. Who's going to be more excited? This isn't rocket science. This is, this is real, real clear here. Of, co of course, the one who was forgiven the larger debt. And then Jesus is going to continue on. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon. I like that. He turns towards the woman. He's gazing in her eyes as he is talking to Simon. And then this is what he says. Do you see this woman? And the implication is that he really hadn't seen her. He looked right over her. He, he ignored her. He thought nothing of her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, and keep in mind, she's still looking at the woman. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, don't misunderstand. She is not forgiven because of her love. Okay? Her love is a response to already being forgiven, and now she has showed up on this occasion to worship Jesus. So that's very important. Now, it's fascinating. With this response, Jesus has answered Simon's thoughts. He knows exactly what sort of woman this is. 
Yes, he knows that she is a sinner and that her sins are many, but he also knows that she has been forgiven. He also knows that she loves much, which explains her scandalous love and worship. And Jesus is showing that he is indeed a prophet because he also knows that Simon has no love for Jesus, which was clearly displayed in his treatment of him. And he knows that Simon is not really forgiven because there's not really any love here. I was just thinking, how, how would I respond if the Son of God came to my house for dinner? I, I mean, would, would you want, not want to make sure that you, that you greeted him? He should be like an honor, honored guest. Rabbis in this day were supposed to be like honored guests. There, there's another dinner party, and Jesus is the guest of honor. After he raised Lazarus, from the, he should have been the guest of honor. When Jesus walked in, Simon should have said, uh, Would you please all rise? We're in the presence of greatness here this evening. I have invited Jesus to dine with us. Master, is there anything that I can get you? None of that. None of that. Disrespect, contempt. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on with him. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. He already said that she was forgiven, so why, why does he say it? Think about this. He's still looking at the woman. Your sins are forgiven. What would it be like to have Jesus look you in the eye and say, your sins are forgiven? I, I wonder what happened in her heart at that moment. I, I wonder if there was like a flutter when she hears this word of the assurance of pardon coming from the lips of Jesus himself. Your sins are forgiven. 49. Then, then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Yes, that's the question, is it? Who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I picture her just floating away, never having experienced more peace in all of her lives. Romans 5.1 probably filled her heart. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've seen the, the woman's sin and love towards Jesus, the Pharisee's sin and love towards Jesus. Now let's, let's consider our sin and love towards Jesus. How great is your, your love toward Jesus? We can answer that question by, by asking another one. Uh, how great is your sin? How great is your sin? Just a little while ago, we had a time of confession. And when we confessed our sin at that, at that moment, how, how earnest, how sincere, how genuine were you during your time of confession? Because if you really know God, if you really love God, you know that sin separates you from your God. 
And if you love God, you don't want anything to stand between you and communion with your God. And sin gets in the way. So you're earnest about your sin. Lord, forgive me. You want that out of the way. So that there's nothing between you and God. So that you can enjoy intimacy and communion. You don't want the Spirit of God to be grieved. You don't want Him to be quenched in your life. So if you really know God, when it comes to confession, you're earnest. You're sincere. It's not just perfunctory. Oh yeah, it's a time in the service when we, when we confess our sins. Nada, nada, nada. No, if you really love God, you're, you're comforted during this time. You want to confess your sins to God. You're thankful that at our church we have a time of confession. You're thankful. And you're also thankful that after that we have a time of assurance of pardon. Your sins are forgiven. Here's something we need to understand. Our, our, our sin is great. It's, it's heinous, not, not just because of what it is, not just the sin. Our, our sin is heinous because of who it's against. That's what makes sin so terrible. Imagine hearing this tragic story, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example because I wouldn't want to use any of you, but imagine you hear this absolutely terrible story about your, your pastor. I promise you, you won't, but imagine you hear this. You hear that Pastor Wayne, at gunpoint, robbed a woman at the bank and made this woman clear out her life savings. Would you not be absolutely appalled? Pastor Wayne held up a woman at gunpoint at a, at a bank and made her empty out her savings? You'd be appalled. What if, what if somebody then said, do you know who the woman was? You say, no, who was it? It was his mother. You'd be like, what? His mother. You, you see how much worse it is? Now it's even more appalling. After all she's done for him. You see the difference? Now all of a sudden it's, it's more appalling. Not just because of the act, but because of who it's against. But it's even worse. You have sinned against God who has been nothing but good towards you. You have sinned against God, who sent his son for you. What's appalling about your sin? It's against God. How can you sin against God? That's what makes sin so appalling. It's, it's not just the act, whatever it is, as, as bad as that. It's the fact that we, that we have sinned against God. And when you understand that you have sinned against God, then you understand how bad it is. John Owen said, he who has slight thoughts of sin never had great thoughts of God. Because the two always go together. A clear recognition of our sin takes place when we behold a great God. Some of you will recall Isaiah 6. We're told that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says he, he saw the Lord high and, and lifted up, see, seated upon his throne, and the train of his robe was filling the temple. And he saw the, the angel saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the, the foundations of the threshold shook. And then we're told that Isaiah said, Woe is me! 
for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And that's fascinating because in the previous chapter, he had announced six woes. But this time, he says, woe to myself. He pronounces judgment upon himself. And he's saying, I am such a wicked sinner. What brought about that realization? He had a glimpse of God high and lifted up. And when he saw God, the first thing he thought of, I am a sinner. And it's always the holiest of men and women who see themselves as the biggest sinners. As you grow in holiness, you will grow in disgust over your sin. You know, it's fascinating. You can see this in the life of the, the Apostle Paul. And there, there is a chronological progression to this in time. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. I am the least of the apostles. Pretty good company. It'd be like a baseball player. I'm the least of the baseball players in the Hall of Fame. Well, you're still in the Hall of Fame. That's pretty, that's pretty good. But then as the years passed, he said, I am the very least of all the saints, Ephesians 3.8. I'm the least of the apostles. Now he's saying, see all God's people line up, all the people in the kingdom of God. You know which one I am? I'm the least few more years pass he walks with God a little more and then what does he say in first Timothy 1 15 this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief now Paul is saying I'm the I'm the worst I am the worst of all Sinners, I persecuted the church. How did that progression take place? He grew to understand God's holiness and majesty. And in comparison to that, Paul sees himself as the worst of all sinners. He understands who God is. Remember what the question was back in 49, that all the people were at, who is this? That, that's the question. That is the question. Who is this? This is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. This is the one who causes the lame to walk. This is the one who sets prisoners free. This is the one who restores broken marriages. This is the one who sets people free from a grip of a stubborn addiction. This is the one who transforms the lives of notorious sinners. Like this woman right here that you don't see. Who is this? This is the Savior who has come into the world. This is the Messiah that the Old Testament has been prophesying about. That's who this is. And he's the only one that can forgive your sins. He forgave her sins. And if he can forgive her sins, he can forgive your sins. And you know this woman would be delighted to hear sometime that her story was used by God as an encouragement to others so that they might read this account and say, if she can be forgiven, I can be forgiven. 
and anybody can be forgiven. No one is beyond the reach of God. God's grace is amazing. John Newton, the author of uh, Amazing Grace, he, he found it amazing. I love what he said at the, at the end of his life. He said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. And I pray, if you, if you get to the end of your life and your mind starts to go and there's not much that you can remember, I, I pray that you can remember these th- two things as well. You know what he said? That I am a great sinner and that Jesus is a great Savior. What a way to die. Yes, it's true. I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. And if you have Jesus, you have everything. I, th- I think of the old woman who had, who had nothing, and she sits down at, at the table, and all she has is a glass of water and a crust of bread. And, and she says, all this, and Jesus too. She's just excited. She, she has Jesus. If you have forgiveness, if you have Jesus, you are a truly blessed person. Let's close in prayer. Father, how thankful we are that great sinners can find great forgiveness and a great Savior simply by repenting of our sin and putting our faith in Christ. Father, I pray that all here this morning listening to this message have put their faith in Jesus Christ and experienced the liberation of being set free from the sin, guilt, shame that comes. And I also want to pray that you will help us to grow in our understanding of how great and glorious God you are. Father, I want to ask that day by day, week by week, year by year, you will open our eyes to behold your glory. And as a result of that, I, I pray that we will also grow in humility, grow in a greater understanding of our sinfulness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.